Hey everyone, and a very warm welcome to Breaking Bread, the Birmingham-based food podcast produced by Food Obsessed mates Liam and Carl. Uh, we've got no Carl for a little while. Carl's still out and about working. He's a classed as a key worker. He works for most of you probably already know. He works for Open Reach in his in his proper job. This is just our hobby. So, in his proper job, he's is off keep making sure everyone's got phone lines and Wi-Fi and internet. Obviously very important right now. I mean, I don't know what we'd do without internet. So for the time being, Carl's fairly busy. So it's just me, Liam, who's doing some bits and pieces. And after maybe two weeks of kind of trying to get used to the whole kind of craziness, decided maybe we could, I could be of some kind of use and so we've managed to get a few recordings on the go obviously releasing this podcast today which is monday and i've got two episodes lined up for later on today to record hopefully have both of them out by the end of this week yes we're going to do something a little bit different our usual kind of thing is where we sit down with either just me and carl and we talk about all the amazing places we eat in birmingham which obviously is a no-go as we're eating at home but on that, on that subject there is still a few people still out there doing a few bits i mean we had uh, awesome takeaway there from chung ying in town they've extended their delivery to over 15 miles up to 15 miles sorry so that was a bit of a godsend because there wasn't many chinese takeaways open or anything saturday night and we you try and keep a little bit normality and have something to look forward to with a takeaway on a Saturday. Everyone's cooking the rest of the week, aren't we lucky? <laughs> Fair play to Chung Ying, managed to get us our, our Saturday night takeaway, which was class. <laughs> helped helped enhance the mood anyway in this camp. Yeah, and it was delicious, superb. If you've ever had Chung Ying, it's brilliant. It's one of the best ones around. Obviously the two restaurants, one in centre of town, one in the Chinese quarter, and then uh, there's not many still doing it in fairness i think baked in brick is still delivering a few bits fair play to lee the sunday dinners look epic i'm just not sure how far out the city they kind of deliver otherwise i'd be well on that let's give him a message and see there's a lot of local kind of area based eateries who are still trying to do a little bit and there's plenty of cakes <laughs> I don't think we've ever been so sport for choice for cake at home. I mean, there's early birds still delivering. Obviously, we love early birds. You can get that apple and vanilla custard brioche delivered to your house. There's bake. They're doing drop-offs. Everyone knows bake and I'm amazing there. Becky's brownies. We've got some Becky's brownies delivered on Thursday. That was awesome really glad she must have been exhausted bless her i mean i don't know how many drops she had to do but she must have been flat out but that was superb just little treats that kind of give you something to kind of keep you sane and our friend mary's cupcakes mary stevens who we're actually recording with later we're gonna bring a few little 
hints and tips for your home baking. Everyone's home baking at the minute, so you know, maybe get. I might be able to get a few brownie recipes or something out of it. Maybe some ideas of what you could bake with the kids. That's what we're going to talk about later with Mary. But yeah, she's still delivering. You can order off her website, or she does like a weekly drop around Sutton Coalfield, Tamworth, all around that area. So if you DM her on Insta, just follow her, Mary's Cupcakes. She's still dropping off cakes here, there and everywhere. But yeah, other than that, there's not a lot going on food-wise. So yeah, so the main car one's out of the question. And then our other usual one is where we sit down with a restaurant owner and we go through the, their amazing stories really and try to help them tell it to you our listener but obviously we can't go and do that so we've I've done a bit of learning and research and managed to record this one that we're releasing today uh, remotely which was good it was nice to get back recording and having a nice chat with someone that um, today's episode is with Lydia from Warwick Street Kitchen in Leamington Spa and Saint Kitchen in St Paul Square both of them very well loved. I mean, if you try and get a table at Warwick Street Kitchen on a Saturday or a Sunday, it's near impossible. But other than that, just her whole, as you'll hear in this episode, really, her whole ethos and her business philosophy, I absolutely adore it. A lot of people talk about how the team are their, their family, but I think she, like this is something different. She really believes it. They are an actual family. Like she, she cares so much about stuff. So we have a little chat, really, about. Obviously, we go into the, the her story and the story of the two restaurants. But then we talk a little about how this current situation has affected them and, and what's going to happen and any plans. And there's some good tips in there for any of your restaurant owners sitting at home maybe panicking maybe not but wondering what to do and there's a few little bits of advice she has some great advice for you people and then for everyone sitting at home like i am looking for stuff to do maybe getting into a bit of baking and cooking for something you're not usually into she's actually been kind enough to give us a few recipes for some of the best dishes from from the restaurants um we got like a there's a smoked aubergine harissa. Um, there's an she tells there's a recipe for how to do the perfect poached eggs, which you know everyone needs to know how to do perfect poached eggs because it's near impossible. Even gave us their awesome recipe to do baba ganoush. I think I pronounced that right. <laughs> but yeah, so a lot of the favourites. I'll put you can find them recipes in the show notes and obviously the links to all of Lydia's social and the restaurant's social so make sure you go and give them a follow if you do cook any of the recipes that we are sharing feel free to tag us and Lydia and the restaurants in the photos and we'll give them a little share and a retweet or a, a reshare or something Just we just love looking at food don't we <laughs> so, yeah so hopefully this episode's of some use to that way and then we talk a little bit about coffee and getting decent coffee at home. Obviously, there's seems to be a million different ways to do coffee at home at the minute. And there seems to be a lot of kind of snobbery about it as well. So I was quite pleased to hear that Lydia kind of 
chucked a bit of that snobbery out the window and basically gave us some solid advice how to get a decent cup of coffee at home. Obviously it's not the same as getting your favourite flat white from your favourite independent but anything to get us through these kind of times you know. So yeah, really hope you enjoyed this episode, really loved chatting to Lydia and hearing all the advice and their story and obviously we'd like as many people as possible to hear this and to make the recipes and make use of the recipes and you know maybe this content will be of some use to someone you never know so if you could maybe just give us a little retweet when we tweet about it or a reshare or something like that and maybe if you like it give us a little five star rating on apple if you listen to this on apple Podcasts, uh, it really does help with all the apple algorithms and stuff it means it's they class it as some kind of value and they it helps us get listened to by more people basically so if you could do that for us that'd be really brilliant yeah we just want to make this as useful as possible to as many people as possible so hope you enjoy of those two and it's been open over two and a half years. It's in Leamington. It's an all-day breakfast brunch, breakfast brunch, lunch specialty coffee establishment, I guess you could call it. Um, the when idea, you say all day, what, what time is it? Sorry. Okay, so, um, well, in Leamington, it's like 8am till 5pm. Oh, um, cool. And then Saint at 7.30 in the morning till 5 o'clock. And After you did you really mean all day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some yeah. places say all day and they'd like close at two. No, no, no. Like you can I mean, okay, so last food orders are at four o'clock because we need to give people eating up time. Um yeah. but the idea is if you want to wake up and or wake up, whatever time you wake up, if you want to come and have an avocado smash poached eggs at three thirty in the afternoon, you can. And I think that people love this this brunch culture and this coffee shop culture. And the idea behind both shops actually is why do you have to wait for the evening for really good food? Why does it have to be a special occasion or a fine dining restaurant? Why, if you go out during the day, is it just like packaged paninis and like sweaty salads, you know? And and yeah, I'm, I'm not saying we're the first or the only people to do this. There are some really, really great establishments out there that I'm a big fan of. But for me, there wasn't enough. And the idea of specialty coffee, like really, really good coffee and really, really good food being mutually exclusive, like really pissed me off as well, because I love coffee and I love food. And why did I have to plan my day almost going to two different places to get those things? Yeah, I agree. You say two two and a half years ago, you started this um, and you just said about how it's brunch brunch culture and coffee culture has become a big thing. But what probably wasn't so much so two and a half years ago um maybe I mean I guess it depends I guess it depends where you are in the world because obviously this is something that we've really taken a lot from like Australia and New Zealand that side of the world and then like California and these places are maybe years ahead of us in their food and drinks trends so maybe if you have visited those parts of the world or been to these places you'll have been seeing it for a lot longer and I've lived in Birmingham for 
I'm thinking 11, 12 years now. And certainly when I moved here, it wasn't a thing. But then speciality coffee became a thing first. But, yeah. But they weren't really pushed to do the food side of things so much. And then, yeah, I guess maybe maybe sort of, yeah, two and a half, three years ago, the brunch culture became more of a thing. I think that by the time we came to Birmingham, I took over St. Kitchen end of last year. It was definitely, it's definitely a thing in Birmingham. You know, it has been for some time. And now we are at the point where we're really trying to put our stamp in Birmingham, make our name for ourselves in Birmingham the way that we have in Leamington. There's probably still not enough though, I'd say, in Birmingham. There's there's a few, but it's funny you mentioned Australia because my brother lives in Sydney and my best pal lives in Melbourne. And they both say when they come to Birmingham and I've, I take them to a few places and they say, yeah, that's great, but if you go to Sydney, you've got like 20 times more of this totally. and it's all the same standard and then you get to Melbourne and there's even more. Yeah, I've heard this. I haven't been to either of these places, but they're definitely on my list because I keep hearing exactly these reports and like I love cafe culture and that's that's why I do what I do um so it's definitely on the list of places that I want to go but you're right I agree I think that there are a few places that sort of come up if you ask people where do you go for brunch and coffee in Birmingham um there definitely could be more and I think that the the market would survive as well because I mean how many millions of people are there in Birmingham you know and it is I think so completely if we got rid of some of the chains who aren't as good and then Mm brought in more like yourself Yorks Wayland's they're all brilliant absolutely more places like that the problem I I foresee though is that just like rental prices and like business rates and stuff like that it's so expensive in Birmingham that it almost becomes a bit of a pipe dream for independence to be anywhere particularly sort of mainstream in the city center like not not that people aren't willing to go a little bit off the beaten track, but if you are in the city centre doing other things, you're not going to walk too far, are you? You are going to look for that convenience. So the stopper in city centres, in my opinion, it's always going to be these like astronomic costs. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the truth of every kind of restaurant or hospitality business. <laughs> For some reason, Birmingham just seems to be crazy. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's probably a good time to mention that you're, just a little bit on the outskirts, just in uh, St. Paul's. Yeah, St. Paul's Square. So um, St. Kitchen existed um, before us. It had been under the ownership of a guy called Will for, I think, about five, six years. And then before that, it was called St. Cafe. So it has been there in a different guise for quite some time and changed hands a couple of times. Um, yeah, it's on St. Paul's Square, um, down the bottom of the square, in a really, really beautiful location. And it was actually my day off cafe because I've lived in Birmingham even though we had opened a business in Leamington uh, I had lived in Birmingham and needed a place to go on on days to sit with my laptop and drink coffee and that had been where I'd been gravitating to for a few years and then that is how I got to know the owner and ended up um, taking it off his hands I guess you could say what did you do before you opened the Warwick Street Kitchen uh, so I worked for you probably know them they're called Urban uh, they've yeah. got one on Church Street and one on the Jewelry Quarter. I worked for them for just over four years. Uh, I started off <laughs> washing up on Saturdays. I mean, kind of depends how far back you want to go here because I've got like a whole confused story where um, I was going to be a musician and I followed that and then that didn't work out and I just didn't have a plan B. Um, ended up in a sales job that I really, really hated and made me miserable. 
what was the musician was it did you play an instrument or was it a singer no. or is, is there some music singer. floating around somewhere or? um yeah there is a little bit i guess but like so when i when i did that i did it from a really young age i joined a band when i was 13 um i'm a singer and always have been and the plan was always going to be i'm literally going to be the next beyonce and i'm going to be famous i had the ego to go along with it and then everything else fell by the fell by the wayside like my education my friendships relationships all of it really like I don't really know anybody from my life pre 23 24 years old because I was just so tunnel vision and so just consumed with this one thing that everything else didn't matter and that then uh so sorry so what we're saying is that that was almost pre it was pre Spotify it was pre Facebook it was pre Instagram like we had a MySpace account and we had something called SoundCloud I don't know if you remember that um oh yeah I remember MySpace uh, pure volume actually <laughs> was it pure volume is that what it was called there was another streaming thing before that um so we're not really massively out there and then yeah that didn't work out and I ended up working in recruitment recruiting teachers and that was really really horrific because effectively what you're doing is asking really qualified people with like masters and phds and teaching qualifications i was calling them up and i was saying hey will you go and teach at this place today for nine pound an hour and like trying to convince them to go out for as little as possible so i could make money off the top of it and just didn't sit right with me and that sounds really like lame and hippie but it did not sit right with me I couldn't do it but I stuck it out for like a year because I'd been so sick of being skint like I'd been in a band I'd been a student and always in the background I'd held down these like hospitality jobs bar jobs cafe jobs because that was the job that sort of allowed you to do shifts to work around the band stuff so that's always kind of been my like safe haven that I've gone back to and sort of just known that it was there And then I was was just sick of it. So I took this job because it promised money and it came with real unhappiness. Um, So then I was like, it was one Christmas, it was a Christmas break. It was a job where, I mean, anyone in hospitality will be like, what, when was the last time this happened? I had the week between Christmas and New Year off. And during that week, I I said to my boyfriend, now my husband, I can't do this. I can't go back. I'm like absolutely miserable. So I went back and handed in my notice and I got put on garden leave because I was so rubbish and like unproductive at that point. I was just completely like clocked out. Um, and I, I sent an email to Hannah, the owner of Urban. I didn't know I'd never met her, but I'd been in the shops and I said, hey, I love coffee. Can I come and work for you? <laughs> simple um, as that. Literally as simple <laughs> as that. Uh, I had a trial shift on the Saturday and then I was working there by like the Monday or something. But I was pretty much just washing up, like 24, 25 years old. Um, just reevaluating everything I wanted from life. Um, and so I was just doing part-time hours while I kind of figured out what I wanted to do. I was baking cakes for people. I was making birthday cakes and wedding cakes. And uh, because I had said when I left that recruitment job, this is the important thing. I had said, I'm never going to work for anybody else ever again. Um, and I was that stubborn about it. And then I needed to pay the bills, right? And I kind of came crashing back down to earth and applied for this job in a coffee shop. But I was like, I'm going to make cakes for people. I'm going to work for myself. But then I was enjoying the days in the coffee shop so much and the culture and the rush and the product and everything about working for an independent. I'd never worked for an independent before. But then after a few months, I sat down with Hannah. I'd only met her a couple of times. And I said, I'm really enjoying this. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm capable of, but I want to manage one of your shops for you. And to be fair to her, she went, okay, let's give it a go. 
so yeah, it gave me the chance to do it. And then uh, a few years later, I was um, I was doing all the HR, all the training for the company. They had several shops at that point. Um, had done a couple of qualifications in coffee, like through them and with their support. And at one point I did say to her, you know, I did say I was never going to work for anybody else ever again. And it's a testament to you, I think, that we've got on and that we've managed to do this without killing each other. <laughs> um, we're still friends to this day. She's she's incredible. She's a really, really good businesswoman. She'd be great for the podcast, actually. Um, really yeah, I'll her. definitely I'll try and get in contact with her. Yeah, man, she's good. Um, she's got her head screwed on and has taught me a lot about running a business and, and how to do what we do. And then, yeah, it's Kind just, of like a, a mentor kind of relationship. Yeah, yes. I mean, yeah. not not these days, not anymore. We are very much equals. We call each other, we text, we stay in contact. Uh, we go out for brunch together and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah we, we weren't friends when we worked together. I mean, that's, that's a lie. We always got on really, really well. But there was definitely a line, like a professional line. Yeah. And then since then it has become okay we don't have to be this formal anymore we can actually just be friends and um yeah man like massive massive props to to her and what she taught me but at at some point maybe a year and a half two years in I was like I want to do this for myself and started exploring those options writing business plans looking for locations and having those conversations really and then was there um, someone to give you advice about like writing business plans how did you know how to do that or so the internet's a wonderful thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I watched um, some YouTube videos. I mean, I'm not, that's not really how I consume information. I'm not great at just sitting watching videos, but I read a lot and I found some example business plans online and literally just regurgitated that and just changed the information to suit me and what I wanted to do. Now it's interesting because I actually sent somebody this business plan recently because they said they wanted to start their own business. I was like, here, have this, like, have a look through it. And it made me read through it again. And so much has changed. Like the business that we run today, and I keep saying we, so I need to tell you about who it is that I run this business with. But um, the business that we run today does not even resemble the business that I said I was going to start. But the fundamental, like, ethics of it, like the fact that everything is homemade and everything is about the community and the vibe and the family vibe of it that stayed but it's like the product and what it was what it was we were going to sell and where like it's completely different because you you have to be flexible you have to be willing to like here's the thing people don't tell you and when you asked about that I get advice about this stuff not really like I was kind of scared to ask people because first of all you can't go to your boss and say I'm thinking about leaving can I ask you these questions um actually she probably would have reacted really well to that but at the time it just felt like this thing that I couldn't do and then I didn't really know anybody else in the industry so I didn't really have anyone that I could ask and therefore um yeah the it was just the internet really that I was turning to and but then when I was going to look at locations and meeting estate agents and stuff like that people don't tell you how much of a barrier there is at that point. Like even if you've written the business plan and you've got the funding, that that's the stuff that you're scared of. That's the scared. That's the stuff you're like, God, where am I going to get this money from? You've done that bit. And then you go out and you try and find a location and the estate agents don't take you seriously. And the landlords don't take you seriously. And it hadn't even occurred to me that that might be an issue. 
Yeah, like, you thought you'd go with the funding and say, look, I've got the money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Show and me some of my goods. There was a location in Stratford that I remember looking at, and I am convinced to this day that the estate agent didn't even send my business plan to the to the landlord. Like, I just got a vibe from him. I had to chase him so much. And I was like, did they did they read my business, my business plan? What did they think? And he was like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, they, they don't think you're the right tenant. And I was like, really, why is that? And he couldn't answer my question because... I really believe he it didn't even get that far. It didn't even get to be on their desk. And what he said to me was, he was like, you're not Tesco, you know, you don't have a proven track record of business. And I was like, here's the thing, because that was the year that Tesco had closed like 200 of their shops. I was like, I yeah. understand that you have to manage risk, but Tesco have just closed 200 shops. So man, like local communities and local and like towns and cities are saying that they want to support independence and they want to have more um, independent local people but somebody's got to break the cycle then somebody's got to say okay then I'm going to say no to Starbucks and I'm going to give this girl Lydia a chance um but so she in in my experience so few landlords and, and estate agents were willing to do that and then in both cases of both shops that we now run I bought existing businesses and therefore somebody else had almost or almost done that that fight for me they had already found the landlord that would accept an independent business and i was just buying the tenancy agreement if you know what i mean so yeah landlord- sure how did you come how did you like <laughs> so there was a deli wasn't there at um warwick street mm. so, so you just went in and bought that did you because you obviously had no that's not what you thought you were going to do so did someone suggest or oh, what how about taking a look at doing it like this or so i uh, what in terms of buying a business yes yeah, in terms of buying a business instead of just setting up like, so from scratch the thing there was i had done the maths and so my husband is an electrician but also just multi-skilled like knows how to build and plumb and do all sorts of things so we had put the plan together to uh, build find a place turn it into a restaurant and build the kitchen ourselves but you soon soon start to realize how expensive that is and building a kitchen from scratch and putting extraction in and doing all the planning and stuff is this is why not many independents do that or start that way because it's so expensive so then I started looking at okay what about businesses that are somebody's retiring or or they're selling up or or effectively they're failing so you're picking up a whole other problem there and that there's a reason that they didn't work in that location can you make it work um but the kitchen's already there the equipment's already there the team is already there so you're okay you might need to do a bit of a refurb a rebrand and then Warwick Street Kitchen actually a a load of stuff had to be done but the, the amazing thing about Warwick Street Kitchen was that it had been listed in the wrong section of the website so my friend Jenny was looking to buy a house in Leamington and so she was checking Rightmove every morning for like new residential properties in Leamington and this cafe deli Warwick Street Kitchen had been listed in the residential section of the website and she was like have you seen this I was like no why would I like I don't search for residential properties in Leamington and I called the agent and he was like well you know you're the first person to call about this and I was like (laughs) (laughs) strange (laughs) I didn't tell him because I kind of thought I was onto something here and then went to go and see it and the cafe upstairs was nice like I could see that it was a bit dirty a bit dark a bit run down um 
And then I went downstairs to the kitchen and oh my goodness, my jaw hit the floor. It was huge. Like it was so big. It was a proper pro kitchen. It was filthy and a lot of things were broken. And I asked the guy, the owner, I was like, so you've got this kitchen, but you're only serving sandwiches? Like what's going on? And he just lost a lot of love for it, I think. And and for whatever various reason, but that was when I realized now if I'm going to do this, need to find a chef and need to take food really, really seriously. And that was then how I met George, who is now my business partner and executive chef for the company, like through a friend of a friend of a friend, met this guy. And yeah, and then we built the Warwick Street kitchen that we have today. You know, it was weirdly organic and a weird series of coincidences and this thing being listed in the wrong place of a website, you know, crazy. Kind of feels like it was a little bit meant to be. If, yeah, if I mean, like, I I wouldn't normally say that kind of thing, but absolutely. Like, and then again, yeah. you, you could say the same with St. Kitchen because I was going in as a customer and I'm not, on my days off, I'm not massively, like, before we started recording, you said about being, like, a secret introvert. Like, on my days off, I'm not massively um, extroverted. I don't go out of my way to try and start conversations with people. Um my job is so much about talking to people and 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 having the, the customer front and and also like I call, kind of call myself like head cheerleader like motivating everybody and getting them psyched up that on your days off you think I don't want to do this I just want to sit quietly in the corner but just from sheer going in there so much and and they got to know me and I got to know the owner that he then just came to me and said look I'm thinking of selling up quietly do you want it so again, you could just say meant to be, weirdly organic. Yeah, weirdly. Yeah, that's a better way of putting it. Less cheesy, weirdly organic <laughs> is a better way of putting it. Yeah. You, you said you you knew you had to get a chef. You didn't contemplate uh, doing the cooking yourself? or? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so <laughs> I I mean, so I said that I've baked cakes in the past. Like I, But when you ask people, oh, I'll make you a birthday cake or a wedding cake, pretty much nine times out of ten, they want a vanilla sponge, a chocolate sponge, a carrot cake, a fruit cake. I was never really massively experimental with flavors. I could just do those things well. I can follow a recipe. Like I'm not a terrible cook. I can follow a recipe, but I'm not a flavors person. I'm not an ideas person in terms of food. And I've also never worked in a kitchen. It's not been for me. I don't like having dirty hands. So, you know, when people like kneading bread and stuff like that, like I can't do it because I have to keep constantly going and washing my hands. So it's funny because George the exec chef says the same thing. He's like, no, I hate having dirty hands too. But yeah, he works in a kitchen. But um, yeah, it's just not been, I've been a front of house person and an organizer and I guess a leader, you could say like, I'm I'm very, very comfortable leading a team and have naturally fallen into that position in lots of different stages of my life. Just naturally found myself in a position where I have been responsible for leading people which is a better skill to have if you're a business owner as opposed to a chef. <laughs> I guess, I guess. But I think the important thing here as well for me to say is that I've recognized that that's great and a business does need that and does need a figurehead and somebody that's willing to drive it forward. But it does also need a very, very creative head because what's going to make us stand out from everybody else and what does make us stand out from everybody else? Like, I'm proud to sit here and be able to say to you that if you go to Leamington and ask people on the street, best places to eat in Leamington we would be in the top three and that sounds incredibly big-headed we're a daytime cafe but we've earned it man like 
and and we just have this reputation for being really really good at what we do um the coffee we take really seriously because of my background and then the food like everything's homemade like even on the side when people say can I have ketchup and brown sauce that's homemade we've made it in-house every single element of every dish and and that's what makes us was was that you or George that's George man so like I he he is the kind of chef and his background again is very varied in terms of um what he's done he's worked in bakeries he's worked in um rosette restaurants like he's um you know he's done all sorts of things but he's never been if I said to him, oh, look, I want to cut some costs, we're going to start buying stuff in, he'd just leave. Like, it's just not it's just not his bag. It's not what he's about. And I knew that this was a thing, and I had recognised it being sat in restaurants. Like, I can tell the difference. This food is good versus this has come out of a packet. So when I, the first time I ever spoke to him was on the phone, and I said, I want to do everything homemade, everything fresh. He just got it, and he just wrote this menu and sent it over to me and I was like oh my god like I had to google what half the things on this were let's do it you know and so yeah it's very much him but I remember like in terms of the ketchup he put it on it so we we were buying in like Stokes ketchup so um it was still good and then one day he put on a special like homemade ketchup and I was eating it and I was like why don't we make our own ketchup and like he left and then I came back in two days later and he'd like batch cook loads of ketchup and brown sauce and they were on the side. And he was like, can we get some labels for them? I was like, yeah, we can. So it's just kind of been this, um, I guess we just egged each other on along the way, like encourage each other just to keep pushing it that little bit further. Okay, we make everything ourselves. So how about the ketchup, you know? How about just everything along the way has just been, let's just see how far we can push this and how far we can push this understanding of daytime eating. You said George is now a partner. Is that? Yeah. Did you so, make him a partner quite early on, or how did that? Because a lot of time it takes a lot. Because it's your baby, isn't it? You know, your mm-hmm. business, your baby. It takes a lot to let somebody else in, especially as a partner. Um, employee is one thing, but as a partner, is massive. So I think again, because from day one the food was very much his thing. I've never ever been like this is my business and you're the chef. It was always, and even the way we run it today with everybody else that works, there's there's 22 people like company wide now, which isn't that big really, but to me it feels huge. And the way we run it is so like consultative. Like it sounds cheesy to say that we are a team or even family in that respect, but we really are. And like every time something, like I've mentioned to you before we started recording, we've hit some pretty major setbacks along the way. And every time we have, we've sat together as a team and we have brainstormed how to get through it as a team because we've met some really incredible people along the way. And if I don't listen to them, they're not going to stay, are they? And I would say that I'm I'm pretty good with ideas and I'm pretty good at implementing things. But God, how much better can you be when you, when you listen to other people as well? So in answer to the question... I've never, ever, ever, or I've tried to never, ever, ever treat George like an employee. And I hope that he would say that. And I think the fact that we now work together as partners reflects that. But then when it came to, when I was first offered to buy St. Kitchen, I went and I told him, he was the first person I told, because we had talked about expanding and what that might mean for our relationship. Because I said to him, I said to him early on, I want you on board for life. How do I keep you for life? Like almost as a joke. So we kind of had, we had had these conversations early on, but it was, 
uh, it was like, I don't know how we're going to do that. You know, whether it's going to be, are you, are you going to buy in or, or am I just going to give you shares or, or whatever? And then it got to, um, it got to the thing with Saint and it got to the point where he was like, okay, I'll, I'll invest and I'll, I'll help, I'll help move forward in this. And that's it now. So we've got the paperwork and it's all official, but I guess the relationship itself has always been like that always been a partnership mm. you, you talk about how great your staff are as well is it, how do you um, employ good stuff because it's quite a hard thing to get right to get build the teams probably the hardest task i think absolutely so okay i've got some really cheesy things that i could tell you here because i've i think about this a lot there is not a single part of what i do that i haven't thought about none of it's accidental and again, I'm really conscious that it comes across sounding arrogant when I say this stuff, but I just, it's just really conscientious. And like, I've read a lot and there's been a lot of soul searching along the way about how I can be better. And some of the things that I ask myself when I, if I like leave a shop at the end of the day is, am I proud of how I've conducted myself today? That's the first one. And the second one is, would I want to work with me? And the answer isn't always yes. Like sometimes I've been a dickhead and I can... I can sort of take that back to the fact that I haven't slept very well or I haven't been looking after myself or I'm stressed about certain things, but I'm always thinking about it and always thinking about how I can be a better leader. So I think that journey um, hopefully reflects in the way that I work with people and the way that I treat them. But ultimately, the bottom line is that I love what I do. I love it. So if I don't want to be there, why would they want to be there? If I come in one day and I'm tired, pissed off, that's going to reverberate through the team. And there's a phrase that my friend said to me, and I just repeat it all the time now, your vibe attracts your tribe. Like if I've got something that's bothering me, I have to leave it at the door. I have to shake it off. I have to psych myself up. So it's a lot about me and the way that I conduct myself, because I think that attracts a certain type of person. When I'm- Have you had, sorry, have you had a, like any kind of tough lesson that's made you learn usually when you come up because this is brilliant by the way Thanks. normally you learn these philosophies the hard way so is anything um, was there something in particular where you just kind of left work and thought okay I'm not gonna do that again that was awful <laughs> you know? um, so one of them was actually working at urban so there's a couple of things actually let's go further back let's do it chronologically um I worked for someone back when I worked in recruitment there were two sort of main executive bosses I guess you could say that I worked under not like my direct line manager my direct line manager was great but out of these two sort of executives one of them was great and I really really wanted he made me want to work hard because he worked hard so if you were sat next to him he had this infectious energy he was working hard he was throwing out ideas he was enjoying what he was doing and that made me work hard I didn't realize it at the time it's something I've thought about later doing this sort of self-reflection But then the other one was, it was high pressured sales. I remember being on the phone trying to talk to um, a client and having her bark at me on the phone about, Lydia, you should be doing this. You should be saying that. No, don't ask this. Don't ask this. Ask that. And I can't work like that. Some people might be able to. She might have got great results out of people, but... And I never saw her practice what she preached. That was the thing as well. So, um... I so this is that that for me thinking about it later those were the two differences the one guy who worked really really hard and therefore made me want to work hard and the other one who was 
she may well have she obviously got to where she got but I didn't see it myself and how that reflected on me so that was in the back of my head those things sort of processing slowly over time and then and then yeah working for urban when I first started managing people uh I can't say I can't say I was always great you know there were times where I lost my temper at people uh one incident in particular that sticks out in my mind I actually really upset somebody because I was snapping at them because they weren't getting it and I've realized now later that was my failure that was all me like if they're not getting it it's because I haven't explained it to them in a way that they can understand you know if you're the teacher you've got to get the best out of people. And if, just because she wasn't understanding it the way I was saying it to her, she wasn't reacting the way I wanted her to, that was absolutely not her problem. And it, again, it's not something that bothered me at the time. I didn't go home and go, oh man, I upset her today and that made me feel really bad. But it's something that I have reflected on since and realised, and again, self-improvement. Like now I could tell you, I don't remember the last time I lost my temper. It's not something that happens anymore. But four years ago, it was something that was happening regularly. So it's, you learn it as you go and you, you as long as you're willing to self-reflect and read about it and push yourself and learn, it's stuff that you can definitely change. You mentioned a few times about reading and books. Have you got any kind of books you, you could recommend that kind of help with that kind of thing? You know, we get quite a few people listening who are managers or owners or. So I'm going to I'm going to open my phone now because I've got all the books on there and I'll talk to you. Um, so one that really spoke to me um, in terms of hospitality, there's a guy called um, Danny Meyer, who is the owner of Union Square Hospitality Group, who he owns like a yeah. bunch of restaurants in America. Shake Shack. Yes, absolutely. You know, so his, 11, book, yeah. his book is called um, Setting the Table. And it's I guess it's almost an autobiography of his his work in the industry, but he's a fantastic leader and famous for being a fantastic leader. And I think worth reading even for people who aren't in the hospitality industry. I don't work in hospitality. I do this podcast, but I don't work in it. I've read that book two or three times now. I think it's Good, brilliant. Right? Yeah, I recommend it to everyone. Um, the other one that I found useful as somebody who was a performer and very much wanted to be in the limelight. Um, I read something called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. And that's so, yeah, less about business, I guess, and more about personal growth and challenging myself. Um, and then Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Who, that's another great book. <laughs> yes. So that for me, so I do struggle with nonfiction sometimes because it can be written very scientifically and I have to get lost in a book. I have to be like immersed in it. Otherwise I give up. So I can't honestly say to you that I finished that one, but I have read a lot of it and I made loads of notes and highlighted loads of bits and that's really good. And then something at the moment that I'm reading that um, was recommended to me by a friend, but I'm loving it. Like I can't put it down. It's called um, Grit and it's by um Angela Duckworth and it's about how gritty you are as a person and how you like stick to things how some people will naturally stick to things and some people will be flitty and they'll try lots of different things and why that is and you know so again it's not massively business related but getting a better understanding of yourself and the way that you work I think is really important so it's, I disagree I think it is business related because I think if, if you have a responsibility to your employees you've got to be the best manager or business owner you can so it's all about self-improvement it starts with you <laughs> well absolutely yeah, yeah and I guess again you could say it's business related because as well if you're if you're trying to be gritty so to speak you're trying to stick to something rather than giving up when it gets hard I mean that's that's massively translatable into business isn't it 
Oh yeah, it's hugely. I mean, I can't tell you how many things business ideas I've had and I've wrote them down and then left them. <laughs> <laughs> Any one of them probably would have worked if I'd stuck to it. But it's funny though because I I've never um, what was I going to say? So this has really been like the only thing that I've really stuck to. You know, the music thing. I guess you could say I really stuck to it because I did do it for a long time, like over ten years. But I can see now how I didn't apply myself in certain ways. I didn't, you know, it was like, I just kind of assumed, well, I can sing. So that's all I need to worry about. But actually, no, I mean, you need to be fighting. You need to be making the phone calls, sending your, you used to send CDs by post in those days. I told you it was a while ago. You need to send your CDs out. You need to be paying gigs relentlessly, like all of this. And that that extra work that I was almost too arrogant to do, you know, I can see that I didn't really apply myself. I was mad into the, the practical side of it like I was singing four or five hours a day every day because I wanted to be really good at that like I listened to the divas I listened to Whitney Mariah Christina and I was going to sing like them and you know that's setting the bar really high but I wasn't interested in the rest of the stuff and something that I'm I'm learning now doing what I do is yeah okay I love I love I love people management I love hospitality I love coffee I love food but that is there's so much more to the job and the stuff that I have to push myself to do, like, oh, I don't want to sit here and do this. I don't want to do that. You know, it's it's not the glamorous part of it, but that's when you start reading books like Grit and start realizing, you know, there's, there's a phrase and I forget who says it, but like successful people, other people that do the things that other people don't want to do. You know, yeah. like you, you have to push yourself through the, the boring stuff because otherwise not going to happen for you so yeah that back to that point like this is probably the first thing that I've really stuck to in my whole life it could be a maturity thing it could be that I was I was too young to do it before um, or it could just be that it I feel truly passionate about so much of it such a massive percentage of it that the very small percentage of less desirable stuff is just completely outweighed or it could be a combination of everything yeah. <laughs> that you've learned and picked up along the way as you've developed and matured and Definitely, you've yeah. learned a lesson from everything that you've done in the past. Mm. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. You're right. I mean, who's, there doesn't need to be one hard and fast rule, does there? It doesn't need to be so cut and dry. It could just be a culmination of everything that you've known and done before. I kind of got you sidetracked, but we were talking about your employees and how you find and employ good employees oh yeah yeah sorry um, <laughs> um and that was my fault I took you can, I'm really interested in the whole kind of business thing but I am anyway but because of you the little kind of research that I did I'd read about your ethics and stuff like that and how you were a very responsible employer but on um, a more practical kind of thing interviews do you like do you bother looking at CVs do you employ for personality or so I do ask for a CV just because you want to, I mean, I mean, it, so we're always hiring for one of two things. One is front of house and one is a kitchen. And the kitchen's different because you ideally do really want uh, someone who's worked in the kitchen before. However, let's come back to that because we've actually just hired somebody who never worked in a kitchen before. Different story. But front of house, I guess, is less important. <clears throat> it, I guess you could say it's less skilled, but even there's a lot of skill in coffee. But I do ask to see a CV. Um, but what ultimately I want to see is someone who's gone a little bit further. So on the Warwick Street Kitchen website, we have um, a link where you can say, if you want to work with us, subscribe to the job subscription service. So even though we're not hiring right now, you can be the first to know when we do, um, when we are hiring. 
And really, I want to be hiring off that list. The people who are not desperate for a job right now, but they want to work with us. So they're willing to sign up to that list or people that have contacted me in a different way. Like, okay, I applied, I applied for the job on this website, but I've also gone to the, the hassle of going to your website and finding your email address and emailing you separately and saying, hey, I really want to meet you or people that come in. If they come into the shop and they say, can I hand you a CV? The answer is normally no, because if I'm honest with you, we're going to lose it. Don't waste your paper. Here's what you need to do. Go on our website, join the job subscription service. And if they walk out the shop and never do that, great. I'm glad we didn't hire them. If they walk out yeah. the shop and still did it, I want to meet you. And I don't care if we're not hiring. I will still meet you and stay in touch with you. This is the thing. I'm always hiring. Even though yeah. our our staff retention is great. Like for the industry, staff retention average is like 12 and a half weeks. So that's yeah. hiring and training new people every 12 and a half weeks. Our company-wide staff retention is over 12 months well <laughs> yeah i know people people just seem to really like working with us um and so then even on a on a boring point of view it's expensive to just keep oh, um, hiring and training and hiring and training and absolutely. laying them off and absolutely so i'm always meeting people always interviewing people which i think the guys now are used to it, but maybe used to make them nervous. Like, why is she Why is she doing a job interview? Like, are we hiring? Who's losing their job? Sort of thing. But they're getting used to the fact now that I'm just always trying to meet people. And I can probably, I could, I, honestly, I can say hand on heart, I can't think in my head right now of like a weak link of like somebody who's like, oh, if they left, it wouldn't be such a big deal, you know? Like when people leave, it's, it's gut-wrenching because but then you understand they're just naturally moving on with their life or something. So say I've sat down, I'm interviewing somebody. First question, and here's a lovely little clue for anyone who wants to work with us. First question is always, what do you know about us? What do you know about Warwick Street Kitchen or what do you know about Saint Kitchen? And I have been known on my more brutal days to cut the interview short if they don't know anything about us. If they sit there and say nothing, I'm like, well, why are you here? Like we could be awful. We could sell food that you hate. Like we could be like, why are you even here? And I've literally, there have been times where I've just gone, you know what? We're not the right place for you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Shaking their hand. Thank them for coming and cut the interview short. Um, I think that's the answer to my question is how, how do you employ great staff that all of that? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) this is it. But, um, but I mean, there have been times where I've kind of got a better vibe from somebody than that. And I have given them the benefit of the doubt, but the follow-up questions, like who are our biggest competitors? You're not going to know that if you don't know anything about us, you're not going, it is a big signifier of how they're going to perform in the rest of the interview. If they don't know anything about you chefs though, I was going to tell you about a guy called Tom, who we hired recently Um, who got in contact with us via every means that he could. Social media, email, came into the shop. He was like, I work in a warehouse. I don't work in a kitchen. I've never worked in a kitchen, but I've always loved cooking. And I think he's got to to his late 20s, 30s. And he was like, what am I doing with my life? I want to be a chef. This is what I want to do. And um, he sat down with George. George didn't formally interview him, but he was like, Lydia, I want to meet this guy. What do you think? Read this email. And I was like, yes, go and meet him. Um, and we just fell in love with him. Like he just want he just wants to learn. He wants to be there. Incredibly positive, charismatic guy. We weren't hiring. We didn't need anybody at the time. But I called him up and I just said, "You can't buy your attitude. You can't teach your attitude. We're going to give you a job. We're going to create a job for you." Um, and he worked his notice and started working for us two months ago. And I can honestly say he is 
part of the furniture already, man. Like his attitude, his infectious smile, loves what he does, loves it. And he's so grateful to be there every day. And it's that's why that's just a lesson in why CVs can be so shit sometimes. Because if I had just looked at his CV and it said like warehouse manager or whatever, it was a decent job that he had. I'm like, what are you doing applying for an entry level job, an entry level chef position? And just a lesson in in thinking outside the box sometimes, I think, is worth telling that story. Yeah, it's a great story. I love that. And it, it's funny how a lot of the best food places that we've spoke to, they've got a story like that. Like with our last interview we recorded before on Amanda's was with Luke Tippin from Simpsons. Yeah. And they had like some bloke who worked in a sandwich shop across the road and he just mm. walked in one day and said, I'm sick of working there. Like, I want to work with real food. You have real food. And Luke was like, yeah, man, cool. Come in for a trial shift if you detest it if you hate it no no hard feelings just go back to the zombie shop it's cool that's so great and he i think he's been working there like two or three years now oh it's so good (laughs) he's working his way up yeah it's funny how everyone has that story it's brilliant well you've got to start somewhere haven't you as well like like i said like i sat in front of hannah and i said you don't know me my cv doesn't back this up but i want to manage your shops and she gave me a chance and who knows i think that's one of the special things about independence as well yes i'm not sure how much that would work somewhere else i think a lot of the times a bigger company might just look at the same oh yeah they've got the right experience let's get them in yeah no no you're you're absolutely right you know maybe just having the freedom to be a bit more experimental about it definitely pays off so we we kind of spoke about how warwick street kitchen came about so and we kind of touched on saints so were you even looking for a second venue when saint came along or we had talked about it. Like I said, me and George kind of had this open um, open conversation at all times about our future together. We were very open about the fact that we both thought we were capable of running more than just one thing. Um, and that obviously what we had created, which, which is, was this incredible sense of community surrounding the shop, we thought we could extrapolate, I guess, for want of a better word, and, and do again. So I had, I'd got back in touch with like the agent that I had bought Warwick Street Kitchen through and I said you know let me know if anything comes up in XYZ location because George and I both had to be able to travel there that was the thing if we were going to do it again we both had to be able to get there it couldn't just be like Oxford and this really really struggle to get there or something um and again it goes to show like never heard back from that guy again he emailed me and was like yep sure I'll keep you informed never and that was like over a year ago um yeah even after I bought a business from him and then proved you know two years later it was still running it was still successful he still wasn't interested in trying to help me out like it just goes to show how tough it is um so I had kind of looked online at things still wanted to follow this idea of like buying an existing business because all the equipment was there and and that kind of thing um but yeah I think I'd maybe gone to see what yeah I'd gone to see one cafe that was selling well actually it was in Leamington again and I was like don't really want to be my own competition <laughs> a bit too close and then uh yeah we had we were in the middle of here we go we talk about setbacks we were in the middle of what we now fondly referred to as the flood which was um so the the kitchen in Warwick Street kitchen is downstairs the basement kitchen and underneath our feet is a public drain line so like all the flats surrounding flats and buildings the seven trent drain line goes under our feet out to the street and that yeah. drain collapsed and the kitchen was completely flooded. Now, I mean like ankle deep flooded. 
uh, we had to close the kitchen. Obviously, it's collapsed, collapsed drain. It's 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 not um, it's not safe. Um, and there was this ongoing battle between Seven Trent and myself about whose responsibility it was. Um, and the landlord got involved, and the landlord was amazing. But there was a an elongated period of time where it became clear that the kitchen was completely condemned. We couldn't use it. Um, everything had to be replaced: the floors, the walls, a lot of the equipment because um it had been touched by this water um and couldn't definitely couldn't afford to do that at this point and like refurb the kitchen and there was this, like I said this ongoing battle about who was going to accept responsibility for it and I had to sit there in front of the team in front of these chefs and I had to say you're not going to have a kitchen for the foreseeable future but we have to stay open and Honestly, nobody even looked bothered. They all just went, honestly, I remember one of them, he just went, oh, it was getting a bit easy, wasn't it? And <laughs> and they just started prepping a cold menu, like met a food menu that didn't involve heat. And if it did, um, we had some incredible neighbours next door, Libertine Burger, who were like, yeah, you can prep in our kitchen. This between this hour and this hour, come and prep some stuff in our kitchen. So like minimal heat. And then we just moved the kitchen section upstairs. So we lost a couple of covers, moved the section upstairs and just had chefs like prepping cold food for over six weeks in the end. Um, and then, yeah, we had to completely refurb the kitchen, uh, which is great because we've got a lovely new shiny kitchen out of it, which is beautiful. Um, but it was an incredibly challenging time. Um, and during that time, the previous owner of Saint emailed me and was like, do you want to buy? And I replied and I was like, I really do, but it's not something that I can talk to you about right now because of X, Y, Z, because of the flood. Um, and he was like, oh my God, yeah, like totally get it. Just like come back to me when you're ready to talk about this. So we got that done. We got the refurb done. We got ourselves back on our feet and we got revenue back up again because even though we were still serving cold food, we obviously, there was a massive hit in sales there. Um, we got that back up and running and then I was like yeah we can talk about this now and um, it took ages to go through because solicitors are solicitors and uh, you know we had to do a substantial refurb and I don't know if you've been in since we took over but it looks pretty different and um, yeah so maybe you know what I actually remember here's a beautiful story for you so I originally offered I made the offer and had the offer accepted on Saint Kitchen on the 23rd of April last year and I remember that because it's my birthday and I was on a holiday Mm. Uh, I was in Vienna and then this is how long it took to go through. George, his birthday is the 31st of October. I picked up the keys on the 31st of October. So it was bookended by our birthdays, but that's how long it took for all of that to happen. Solicitors don't do anything fast today. <laughs> you know, and I would even say that we had a good one, you know? Yeah, 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 oh yeah. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad, they just take their time. I suppose it's all got to be done legally and properly. And Yeah. Yeah, let's say that. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, yeah. I tried to. So how's Saint going for you now? Well, actually, I'll tell you what. Let's talk about, obviously, talking about setbacks. For many, this is probably the biggest setback they've ever faced in the current climate we're sitting. We're recording this, obviously, remotely. We don't usually record remotely, but needs must because we're actually in the middle of this global pandemic. How... How are you doing? How's it going for you? So I mentioned to you earlier that I would say that these setbacks that we've had in the past, like things that 
a minor now you look back at them like staff not turning up like things in the beginning that were big big challenges cash flow challenges then sort of like having the kitchen condemned and closed down and struggling with that getting big these sort of setbacks getting bigger and bigger have actually served us very well because the phone calls I was making because as soon as we went into lockdown like I, I mean so previous to lockdown George um was self-isolating because he was showing some symptoms so I haven't actually seen George in maybe the longest I haven't seen him since we started doing this together actually I hadn't thought about it like that um so we've been talking on the phone a lot but the conversations we were having none of them have been like oh my god we're gonna go out of business or or this it's all just been like well we know we can get through because we've we've run a business we've run a food centric business without a kitchen before so like we can do this um and yeah, there are there are struggles in that. So like you said, that we said that the, the week where it was like, don't go to restaurants and bars. Boris said, don't go to restaurants and bars, and, but then didn't close restaurants and bars for like another week after that. That week was an emotional roller, co- roller coaster because you'd make plans. You'd be like, okay, cool. We're going to move to delivery service then, or we're going to do this. And, and every time you made a plan and you felt like you were getting somewhere, the goalposts were moved again. So that week yeah. and two weeks were, were tough. A lot of sleepless nights, but something that I always take comfort in is I'm sure there are a lot of people having a lot of sleepless nights, you know, it's not just us. And so what the decision we actually made when we went into lockdown was, okay, let's see where this first three weeks of lockdown take us. Let's just sit back. Let's close the shops. Let's not do anything. Um, Cause you know, we are getting quite a lot of financial support from the government. Um, sitting here right now, it hasn't come through yet. And that is the concern is that, because of all the processes and stuff that it has to go through to get to you, is it going to get there in time before cash flow starts being really ugly? But equally, yeah. it's out of your control. And I think what we have developed is a very good understanding of what is worth getting worried about and what isn't. And I think you, one would argue that cash flow being so tight that your business doesn't exist anymore is something worth being worried about. Of course it is, but you can't, worry about the fact that maybe the money won't get here in time because that's with the local authorities and they are working as hard as they can. Like that's that's something you can't control personally. So absolutely. what's the point in worrying about it? Yeah. Absolutely. So I mean and we do have plans now. So I've talked to George a lot about what we can do if this lockdown now lasts much longer, which it's likely that it might do, we have plans for moving to like a, a delivery service or doing like pre prepped meals for people that they can collect and take home like we've got various plans of things that we can implement relatively quickly um on how soon because i'm hoping to release this we're recording this obviously on a saturday we're hoping to release monday oh okay they're I mean, getting out quite fast so probably after easter after, after easter. easter so we um we're gonna like let the easter weekend go out of the way because we would have been closed on on easter sunday anyway um, because then that Monday is when we sort of will get the official news as to whether the lockdown is being extended or not. Yeah. Um, and then... I mean, I'd assume it probably will, to yes, be honest. But. I think so. And I think that what we have to... You can't just bury your head in the sand at this point and be like, oh, we'll be, we'll be back open again in a month, because the likelihood is that business will not go back to normal. I say with, like, inverted speech things above my head, like you can see me. Um, will not go back to normal for quite some time. And I think that, you know, there's that phrase that everyone's throwing around, adapt or die, adapt or die. And what we have shown is that we we fare pretty well in those situations. You know, we are gritty to go back to that and, and we can adapt and we can try new things. Again, the beauty of being an independent um, and being able to try new things 
and also the PC yeah. of having such a great, hardworking bunch of people, like really, really great people who I am grateful for every day. Like I said, I can sit in front of them and say, you won't have a kitchen for six weeks and they still want to give it a go, you know? And I don't think there are that many people out there like that. Speaking to friends in the industry, that's been, most of them haven't really been, with a, obviously been slightly concerned for their own business, but most of them have been really concerned for their their employees and their staff. Yeah, and their, this is this is the most important thing for me. This is why I, you can't lose sleep over, okay, maybe I'll get in a bit of debt, maybe I'll, some payments will be late and that kind of thing. That doesn't matter. Like, honestly, I don't care if the bank, you know, if, if I'm like a month late on a payment to the bank or something like that that does that doesn't bother me what really really bothers me is the sense of responsibility that I have to every single person that gives their all to Warwick Street Kitchen and St Kitchen every day because you know you've gone to the trouble of hiring these really really amazing people and you're only going to keep them by genuinely giving a shit about them and I really do take the weight of that on my shoulders and I think some people would probably advise me against this and say you have to care less but absolutely not never at no way like so there there are people that that I work with that have kids there are people that I work with that um help support their families bills as well as their own for various reasons and I find this information out because I listen and because I care and we get to know each other and I remember it because it fucking matters and they are there and you can't not notice the quiet person that comes into work every day and just grinds and does it. You can't take that for granted because the story is, I said to you before we started recording, everybody has a story. Every single person that you work with has a story as to why they're working so hard, not just their bills, but the you know their, their kids or their family or whatever else they're supporting. They have a story as to why they are there doing what they're doing. That becomes your story. And I be- genuinely believe that this care that I George, all of us have for each other. You know, we joke about being a family. We are this big family, and that will be why the staff retention is so good, right? Yeah, that's all part of it as well. Yeah, and it comes from the top. So, mm. one of my things I wanted to talk about, especially with you being a business owner, was I'm not sure how the furloughing is going to work out when this starts getting a little bit more more normal because I can't see how they're going to. They're not going to be able to just say, okay, everything's back open, like straight away. In one, yeah, straight away. And then you're not going to need, but they might say, oh, you might be able to do little bits and pieces. But with the old furlough thing, you have to like specify them as furloughed so they can get paid the 80%. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's going to be staggered when it gets, it's not going to be all of a sudden we're straight back to normal. It's, there's going to be a stagger and yeah. it, you might need a few staff. So I'm not sure if it's, you have to furlough all of your employees or you might need some staff in for a couple of days to do a few bits but you're not allowed to as part of the no, furlough no absolutely if they're furloughed you can't ask them to do any work and um yeah so i think so the plan that we have and that what we've discussed is any new idea that we implement whether it's delivery or something like that this is on the understanding that george comes back to, comes back to work um and does as much of it as he can by himself until he until it gets busy enough or warrants enough that we then bring somebody else back for a hundred percent. Um, and just, I guess, keep going until, until a point where everybody's back question mark. I mean, at the moment, this furloughing thing has only, has only been promised for three months. So yeah. after three months, 
who knows and like this this is one of those things where I, I love planning ahead I love knowing what's going to happen and that's why I've struggled so much with this situation um has been because like I said the goalposts have kept moving and, and the rules have kept changing um so I have I am constantly battling and learning to just accept it on a much shorter term at the moment you can make plans like absolutely we could be like this for a year so this is why we're making plans for if we are like this for a year this is how we're going to do it but in three months time government might say we can't afford to carry on this furlough process anymore and then we have to change our plan again based on that sorry excuse me um so although there is a longer term plan it's a lot looser in its structure but the idea is that yes we would we would stagger that based on how much we can we can push this business so i i i'm not furloughing myself so to speak um so i can carry on making these plans and and calculating okay well we're bringing in x revenue by these different means therefore i can justify bringing back this many people um and yeah when, when we first went into lockdown it was actually a day that i was due to have a big team meeting with everybody i said okay right that's cancelled but let's do it by zoom and we did like a video thing and that's when i i explained that to them like i'm sorry i don't have all the answers right now um, and they got it they know like I'm no politician, I'm no economics expert, and I'm no medical expert. Uh, but I think they appreciated the, here's the loose plan, here's what we want to do. Um, enjoy some time off, look after yourselves, please. Let's stay in touch. We have a group chat that, like, everyone's staying in touch. Um, and at the moment, like, Warwickshire Kitchen are doing a, a stuff, like, every day somebody takes over the Instagram, and it's, like, keeping people... Yeah, I've seen that. That's brilliant. Yeah, well, that was actually um, Nick, the general manager over there. That was his idea. Um and I'm going to hopefully replicate it at Saint as well, because it's gone down really well, just to keep people engaged. But yeah, stay safe, let's stay in touch. But hopefully at some point in the future, I'll be saying to you, I need you to come back to work, because we, we're making plans. That's the thing, and it's awful. Everyone knows it's awful, don't they? Us to tell you how awful this situation is. But on the flip side, when have you ever had such a good opportunity to kind of take stock have a look and make plans and you know it's kind of a good time to really look at your marketing look at your social look at how you do the the kind of there's been everyone has things in business that they know needs improving but you just don't get the time or you know so this is a good opportunity to do all that kind of thing totally like every conversation i have with george about plans for sort of um delivery and, and food and stuff like that is always like bookended by hey imagine if this really takes off and we could carry on doing this afterwards like when things go back to normal so to speak you know if we could turn this like really shitty situation into something a different arm to our business that's great that's the ultimate win right and something that I always want to remember when I talk like this I think we have to be sensitive to the fact that this is tragic like there are people getting really ill and losing their lives and that's awful. So I would, you know, I read these things where people are like, this is a good thing, guys, that we get to sit there and just, you know, self-care and like, that's, that's great, but you need to be careful how you're saying, because it isn't great really, but you can turn it into something great. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I, you know, there's loads of things that, loads of shortcomings in what I do, and I'm certainly using it as time to get better at those things. You know, like I said, reading and, and improving and not just, I mean, I'm not great at sitting around not doing anything anyway. Like, don't get me wrong. I love watching a movie. I love reading a book. But got three days in last week and, yeah, I started to go stir crazy like everybody else. So I do like to feel productive. There's always a to-do list and there's always things being added to it, you know. 
Were you on, did you do delivery anyway? Were you on delivery or any of them platforms before? No, not at all. Like we always kind no. of said it didn't really suit what we were about. We were always like, food brings people together. Like that beautiful thing about sharing, you know, all of our food, it's it's great, but it's it's sharing food. Like it's designed for you to lean over and grab your mate's food and that kind of thing. And um, Leamington, we do these tapas nights where, I mean, they've been really successful. And the whole idea is don't order food just for yourself. Order food for the table, you're sharing this. And this aspect of slow down, don't be don't be so quick, like sit down, enjoy your food, enjoy your company. That was always our ethos. Um, so we've never really been, I guess, particularly like, I don't know, fast. We certainly haven't been fast food um, in that respect. So, you know, we've always stayed away from the delivery platforms. But like I said, you've got to be flexible. You've got to be willing to try new things. So then this was like, okay, let's look into this. And I, I called the, the delivery guy because I'd said no to him like twice before. And I was like, you must be getting so much of this now. People have said no to you and now they're coming back. And he's like, oh, I'm not seeing it like that. You know, it's like needs must. We have a service that people need. Um, yeah, so it does certainly make you consider things that you hadn't considered before. Yeah, I only ask because I've seen so many people now who have took to the platform so brilliantly and are just absolutely flying on it. I think some people are busier now <laughs> than they would have been if they didn't look. Well, that's great. That's really great. I, like, last night I ordered food from um, a Thousand Trades because they're doing like a, a delivery service and I want to try and support independence as much as possible. And yeah, it was great. You know, it's as good, I say as good as being sat in there, but it's nice to still be able to support an independent because there's loads of chains on these delivery platforms and yeah. not as many independents. So it's nice to be able to do that. Well, I'm just hoping it might give people another option going forward. You know, it's something different, another money outlet if they need it. Someone who might have been struggling, you know. Definitely. I do um, wonder though, like how much people, you know, if we are told that we can go back out into the world and start functioning the way that we used to, how much people are just going to, rush out and just absolutely crowd all the bars and restaurants again because they're desperate for it or are people going to be you know are we going to be more um not suspicious but more careful moving forwards about the way that we interact with people is this going to change the way that we interact with people forever because you know like I, I i went for a walk yesterday and everybody's really great at like crossing the road to make sure that you're staying away from people and you're not crowding each other on the street because we're told about social distancing but i was thinking is this going to carry on now? Is this going to change the way that we interact with people? Are we going to be naturally scared to be around people for a really long time? Like, I just don't know what it's going to do to our, our mentalities in that respect. It's hard to say, but I, I kind of I don't know if it's the optimist in me again. I, I, I think it's going to go the way, the first way. I think we're just going to be so happy to have actual human interact, interaction. Like, for so long we've been drifting and drifting away from like sitting face to face and actually having proper conversations but it's all been through social and now we've got no choice but to have to do it through social media and laptops and phones i think everyone really fully appreciates how much we miss how sitting down having a face to face and it like it's funny we just went for a walk yesterday with my daughter and my wife and we bumped into a cousin of mine who hadn't seen for a little while mm -hmm. and normally i'd give her a big cuddle you know mm. ask her how's them and we had we had a chat from like about three or four meters away <laughs> and it's like so weird i think that's the worst well obviously the worst thing is people are obviously dying from this mm. but it's the distancing thing that's the, the yeah. most upsetting thing for a lot of us who are totally. who are feeling fine but having to just keep your distance from loved ones we have dinner every thursday at my in-laws mm. Obviously, we've not been able to do that. 
I think people, when this all clears, people are just going to be like, get me out. <laughs> just <laughs> let, yeah, let's get so. to these restaurants. I, like, I miss so many places. Like, I, I think I joked the other day that like, I really regret making eating out my only hobby. <laughs> and, it, and it really <laughs> is my only hobby. So now I'm like, I mean, just a Saturday morning this morning, I like to wake up, walk around King's Eve and go buy a few cakes from Early Bird, have a chat with the, the people in there and... Yeah. You get to know them and then you go and get your coffee from from uh, Bloom and maybe some brunch. Yeah. And you just, God, you miss that so bad. And I think as soon as this so everyone's going to just race in and it'll be really busy. That's what I'm thinking anyway. Well, well that's what I yeah, I mean, I really hope so. And I think God. you're so lucky to have Bloom on your doorstep, man. Like, <laughs> I have to, because I, I live in the city centre and I have to, I don't have a car, so... And I do, I love Bloom. I love what they're about. It's one of my favorite places to drink coffee and eat, but it's like effort to get there. So I just don't get to be there as often as I want to be, you know? So yeah, great independent. I have to stop myself from going there, to be honest. It's really good. It is really good. That's what I miss most. Just, I mean, there's so much you can do at home. But a flat white, I haven't had a great flat, flat white now in like two weeks. So I, <laughs> so like, I'm i lucky, like I, I live around the corner from St. Kitchen and I go in to like make sure that, because um, we can't just ignore restaurants for months. You have to go in, you have to turn stuff on, you have to keep it clean because things get dusty. Um, so like once or twice a week I'm going in and picking up mail and just like making sure that everything's clean and stuff like that. And I get to make myself like a flat white. And I'm drinking it and I'm like, oh, I feel so sorry for people. Like coffee is such a comfort to so many people. Like I, it's a comfort to me. Like I wake up and make myself a filter coffee every morning. And just that action of like holding the hot cup of coffee that has started my day for how many years? And like, I mean, I, I when this first started, like I started, a, I started a blog and I've written a couple of articles. And the first one was about like the coffee shop culture and missing it and how it is going to be just like this aching loss for so many people because it is such a comfort, not just to drink the product itself, but the shops and the fact that, like you said, you know, the guys in Early Bird and you know, the guys in Bloom and it becomes part of your life. Um, But then, yeah, like you say, people are doing more and more at home and it's making, I mean, like I'm not a natural cook. Like I said, I'm not particularly experimental with flavors and stuff, but I'm having to be because I'm having to use the stuff that's in my cupboards and we've had some pretty interesting meals, you know, so that's, that's interesting too. Is there any way of getting good coffee at home? Well, I, um, a flat white, nah, I'll be honest with you, unless you spend a lot of money on an incredible machine, then you have to get it plumbed into the mains. You have to have it maintained. We have to talk about like filtered water and you're like, just nah. People say to me, how do I get good espresso at home? I say, have you got £6,000 to spend on it? And they say no. And I go, right, well, don't worry about it then. And <laughs> um, we, we can talk about really great filter coffee. Like, yes, absolutely. Um, you can easily get yourself a V60 or a Chemex or an AeroPress. And there are loads of like online tutorials. A lot of people have asked me, like, do videos on great coffee at home. And I did do a few when we first opened Warwick Street Kitchen, but also there are just great ones out there so it's a crowded market in terms of like the doing great coffee yeah. at home thing um buy yourself a v60 some v60 papers and some good specialty coffee watch a how to make a v60 video and there you go you've got really great filter coffee at home it's totally is, doable. is that the one you'd recommend over the others is it v60 um, over an aeropress yeah i, I use a mocha <laughs> a mocha yeah yeah cool mocha master that's cool um I mean, that involves like the hob and stuff. It totally depends what your yeah. tastes are because I like 
I like a black filter coffee, so I like it to taste quite clean. I like to be able to get the flavor notes through from it. So yeah, V60 is really great. Um, and so yeah, I would recommend that as like a starting point because it's just, it's a cone-shaped filter. You put the paper in it, you put the coffee in it, put some water on top, effectively. Like I'm really simplifying that. There is more of a process to it. But within five... Say, surely you need scales. Every coffee yeah, needs scales. Definitely like that. Needs scales. Yeah, but everyone's got a set of scales, right? Everyone, yeah, everyone's like, got scales. It doesn't have to be special coffee scales or anything, just normal totally. scales. Like we, um, we're still selling coffee to people via post, um, selling people coffee. And somebody asked me, how many scoops of coffee do I need? And I was like, sorry, how many spoonfuls of coffee do I need? And I was like, excuse me? I don't understand the question. Um, you need 15 grams of coffee. Uh, and they were like, what? I need to weigh it. And I just blew this person's mind. But then they contacted <laughs> me and they were like, this is so much better. I was like, right? Just a little bit of precision. And and it's funny because when I'm training baristas, especially ones from scratch, um, something that I learned from some one of the people that taught me how to make coffee was there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of like scientific terminology and fear based around like coffee like oh it's really hard to be a fantastic barista like you know what yeah there's a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication that goes into being a really fantastic barista but if you listen to me and if you follow a bit of precision if you weigh things and if you keep it clean I can make you a good barista relatively easily because there's a recipe to follow follow the recipe know your equipment keep it clean and I can make you a good barista. If you want to be a great barista, yeah, you've got to do your own research. You've got to push push yourself. But actually the fundamental skills, just keep it clean, weigh it out, follow a recipe and you'll make good coffee. And that that, that stands at home as well. Did, did you say you sell coffee beans? You're actually so, um, yes. still delivering them? Yeah, well, yeah. So like I go to the post office like twice a week. So I'm doing like a Tuesday trip and a Friday trip and I'm posting people coffee. Um, ideally, because we, we get the big kilogram bags of coffee and like I've, I've still got, relatively easy access to that um, i think people are finding it quite difficult to get good coffee so i am um, through like our instagram and our twitter and, and email really i'm just contacting well people are contacting me and saying can i buy this off you i'm grinding it for them if they need it ground like ideally i'd sell it to you whole bean because it will be fresher for longer um, but if people just don't have a grinder you know what, I'd still rather you were having pre-ground specialty coffee and supporting my business and then also the independent roastery that I have a relationship with than yeah. drinking instant. Like, of course, I'd rather that. So, yeah, I'm grinding it for yeah. people too if they need it. How long would you recommend kind of grounded coffee kind of lasts or is okay. airtight container? <laughs> okay. or? So if you want to be really, really specific about it, I would say three minutes. <laughs> um but still practically (laughs) practically if you're going to compare if we're comparing it to the alternative which is what instant coffee yeah the pre-ground stuff is still going to taste better a month down the line it's still going to stand up and taste loads better it's just not going to taste as interesting that's what happens coffee doesn't go off you know there's this big stigma around like oh you can't use coffee over a month after roast date like it's bullshit sorry excuse my language like if you can just accept that your coffee two days after roast is going to taste completely different to how it does a month after roast, everything else is going to be fine. Like, you're okay. The acidity probably isn't going to be as, it's not going to hit you in the face as much. Like the flavor notes aren't going to be as apparent, but it's still going to be good coffee because you've bought good coffee. You're okay. In six months time, it might not taste as much at all, but I'd still drink, I'd still rather drink single origin, 
coffee, six months off roast than instant. Yeah, so that's good because I think a lot of the advice does kind of scare you. You're like, oh my God, I've opened this uh, ground coffee like two days ago and now they're telling Throw me it it's the best. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there's there's the ideal world, right? The ideal world is that you would have a specialty coffee shop outside your house that could source you responsible, fantastic quality coffee made by a friendly, smiling barista and you'd be supporting somebody's dream and that's the ideal situation. But right now, the ideal situation is not possible. And if you can still drink good coffee in a way that still supports your local favorite or an independent coffee roastery um then yeah okay we have to we have to be flexible with the rules a little bit more you know like again i could say to you in an ideal world you'd be drinking you'd be grinding your own coffee it would be whole bean when you're buying it and it would be under a month off roast date yes that's the ideal scenario because you'll get the best out of it but come on let's just chill a little bit I, i want a good coffee and i want it at home Yes, you can flex those rules a little bit. Yeah, because I, I bought one of them kilogram bags of uh, beans. Mm. And I didn't really realise how big a kilogram <laughs> bag is. It lasts of, a long it's, time. It's good. And then using a hand grinder to grind, I didn't realise how long that takes. Matt, <laughs> the hand grinder is so funny. Like, it's almost a punishment. It's almost like you've got to, like, earn your coffee in the morning. Um, that's, like, my camping setup. Like, my, my husband has a camper van. If I'm completely honest, we've stayed in it maybe four times. It's not really my bag. Um, but when we do go camping in it, I have the hand grinder. And it's like, it's like I've really earned that coffee by, by the time I'm drinking it. It's funny. I nearly gave up the first time. <laughs> fair play to you. Fair play. We do it in shifts. I do like a minute, and then I make Ian do a minute. Um, it's hard work. I've heard seen a lot of people. This might be boring, a bit too technical, but I've read. Well, when I before I bought the grinder, because I bought the grinder especially because I was buying the beans as opposed to the grind, and I put a little bit of research into which one to get. But I don't know why I didn't buy electric. But mm. a lot of people were talking about the burr as opposed to the blade. Yep. Do you think that makes much of a difference or so I mean I've I've never I've never used a grinder with blades before. Like yeah, um yeah, it's all burr based grinders. Um so the hand grinder that I've got is one of the Rhino Wears ones. Um and it's good because it goes relatively fine as well as coarse, because like um the coarse like the how coarse your grinders massively affects the taste of your coffee, which is why when people say they need me to grind it for them, I need to know how they're making it at home. Because if they're making it on a cafetiere or they're making it or making espresso at home, they're two very, very different grind sizes to get the best out of it. Um, in the shop, our, the burrs in our grinders have to be replaced like every six months because they go they go blunt eventually. So it doesn't it, you know it makes the grind inconsistent, and that affects the taste of your coffee. Um, at home though, like the, um, the volume that you're doing should mean that that will last you years. And like, I bought, I treated myself to an electric grinder a couple of years ago. I mean, I think I asked my family for like Amazon vouchers so I could buy, um, a relatively good one, like for a birthday or something. I said, everyone club together and get me Amazon vouchers so I can buy this like good grinder that I want. Um, cause it's a good investment because, you know, I can make good coffee at home and it's been an absolute lifesaver in this situation because otherwise I'd just be an absolute shit to live with. Yeah, things are bad enough without coffee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Another kind of thing I wanted to go through was maybe we talk a little bit about the food mm. that you, cause we, we, have, we've spoke a lot about the business and that's mainly my fault cause I love the whole business thing. That's good. 
what's the food like at both places? Is the menu the same at both? I never, I no, so they're similar, um, similar vibe, but they're very, very different kitchens in terms of like capabilities of what we can do and equipment and stuff like that. So um, Leamington really, um, well, they're all the same in that there's breakfast and brunch that you can order all day. And, you know, a lot of eggs um, and like a lot of Middle Eastern inspired flavors Like we've got shakshuka. We do like mahamra on toast with poached eggs or like hummus on toast with poached eggs. Got the classic, the avocado smash, um, because I think we'd go out of business if we didn't sell avocado smash. (laughs) And then the lunch menus are heavily flatbread based. Again, like homemade flatbreads, Middle Eastern in style, all with different things on them, different meats. We change the menu seasonally. So every three months we change the menu. So we might have a lamb flatbread um, with 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 things on it, seasonal veg or whatever, and um, and then you know come summer we'll change that. Um, we've always got we're always really inclusive. We've always got loads of gluten free options, veggie options, vegan options because we talk about the fact that food brings people together and we want people to be able to eat together. And, you know, I don't know how many family gatherings you've been to recently where there aren't like three or four people with different dietary requirements. So you have to be willing to cater if you want people to eat together like that, because everybody's got something that they like or don't like or something they're allergic to. So we try and bear that in mind. Like I'm a vegetarian myself. I don't eat meat. Um but I would never, ever open a vegetarian restaurant. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Never, ever say never to anything. That's a rule that I need to start <laughs> following. But it hasn't occurred to me at this point to open a vegetarian restaurant because I want to be more inclusive than that. Like um, me and my husband, we we often go out to eat with friends and, you know, we don't. I'm trying to think, do we regularly go out with somebody else that vegetarians? No, I don't think we do. So we want to be able to eat somewhere where we can both enjoy food together um so yeah the the menus change a little bit but they're both ultimately breakfast brunch lunch saint does a lot more stuff that's aimed towards takeaway like um some more sandwiches and salads and stuff that you can take away it's all made fresh to order that's the thing so no there isn't like a fridge with sandwiches sat in it there waiting to go because another thing is wastage as well that we're really shit hot on wastage from a financial point of view but also from a point of view that we care about what we're doing and you know, there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of food source shortage in the world and there's a lot of homelessness and if we're there just throwing food in the bin or or whatever at the end of the day it doesn't feel great so, so how do you combat that then do you have specials or something yeah i mean like before? that would that would be doing us a disservice if i said that if food's going off we just put it on the specials board but like yeah there is ultimately there is a skill in that in you know in the kitchen team and them being able to say look okay well this this is only good for another couple of days so let's turn it into something else and put it on the specials board um but also just getting to know your menu and getting to know what's selling well and what isn't we always err on the side of under prepping which does mean that you might come into the shop on okay so for example lemmington we get absolutely slammed on a sunday brunch time like it is the busiest time you could possibly visit us so by one two o'clock in the afternoon we've run out of some stuff so we do have to greet people at the door and say by the way just so you know sit down peruse the menu but we have sold out of this this and this everything else is available come and order at the bar when you're ready and some people might not like that way of thinking they might think that we're being stupid why wouldn't you have everything at all times you got more chance of making money but it means that people nine times out of ten will choose something else anyway so they stay with you anyway but also we're not overstocking and we're combating that 
that wastage thing. So we do you, do you tell that to the customers so they understand or totally like I mean you can't just yeah. bombard people with this information as soon as you're like yeah. oh we run out of this this and this but it's because we're trying to keep wastage really low like it almost seems a bit precocious but if they're like God I come in here every Sunday and you've always run out of this and that's when you might say to them okay cool I mean you've you've come in at two o'clock on a Sunday we're closing in two hours. And we've been super busy. And we always say it from a really positive point of view. Like, we've been really busy. It's been amazing. Um, mm. And we don't want to overstock, you know? Like, and we we, we didn't know that we were going to get absolutely... So <laughs> when I'm teaching... I'm teaching new managers about ordering, like, stock level-wise, because you don't want to be overstocking on any respect, whether it's the takeaway cups on the shelves, because cash is better in the bank than it is on your shelves, right? Um, and I try and say to them, you can you can get to know it as best as you can, you, you can know that we really don't sell that much green tea. So, you you know, if you've only got half a kilogram of green tea left on site, it's probably going to last you a week. But you never know. One day you're going to hit by the, you're going to get hit by the Green Tea Appreciation Society. <laughs> they're going to come in, they're going to order 20 green teas and you're screwed. But you can't foresee that weird like pattern, but you get to know your regular patterns. And I like to think we're pretty good at knowing, OK, we've got a fish dish that doesn't sell as well as the others, but at the weekends we're going to sell. 10 to 20 of them so we need to be ready for that um and just yeah just getting used to that is the key really um like we have a till system that reports this stuff back to us really well as well and you know i'll often be chatting with the guys about what's selling well and what isn't and we have the flexibility of changing a menu if necessary if something just really isn't moving and is constantly causing problems but i think at this point we kind of know our customers pretty well and we know that what they want to eat less so at saint we're still getting to know each other at saint you know um we're still getting to know what they like and what they don't like and if i'm honest with you we have had some kickback from customers from previous ownership who have not liked the changes that we've made but it's gonna happen every that's just the story that's the way it goes with every kind of takeover isn't it absolutely <laughs> and i i just think you've got to stick to your guns like there is a reason we took over we didn't just want to take over and do what's been done before i loved what went before i was a customer i've told you that like so many times already like i loved it but we've taken over now and we're putting our stamp on it and if people are mad at that then okay we're not we're not meant to be together anymore in a really like lame way of putting it and i'm really really sorry that we're losing your custom but that's cool we don't sell what you want to eat anymore and i'm i'm sorry but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna uh bend over backwards and like bend our ethics we're gonna stick like, to our guns i don't know if you know scroobius pippa does a podcast he has a lot of merch and it says on the merch uh, we may not be for you and that's fine <laughs> i <laughs> need to buy that <laughs> i need to buy it just- <laughs> He's got like cool sunglasses with that on the side. It's oh, wicked. Nice. Okay, I'm going to look into that. <laughs> um, so yeah, you just... But you how about suppliers? What about them, sorry? Um, like, do you work with local suppliers? Is where the produce comes from, is that important? Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. So, um, so when I talk to you about how everything is made on site, our only exception at the moment is sourdough bread. Um, not because we don't want to. I mean, like one of the things that George did previous to Warwick Street Kitchen was he worked in a bakery and he definitely has the skill set to make sourdough bread. But it's like a whole other project in terms of like getting people in at 3am and like bread ovens. And it's like a whole other side of the business that you have to be able to validate financially. So we trust that to 
two different local suppliers depending on the shop. So in Leamington, we use a company called Bread & Co, who are based in Warwick. And they are led by an Aussie guy called Steve who makes great bread and he just loves bread and he's great at it. Um, and then in Birmingham, we use 10-4 Bakery. Oh, yeah, no, 10-4. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they started off as Jam Versa Custard and, and I got yeah. to know them because I'm like a consumer of coffee shops in Birmingham. I got to know them because of that and then saw they were doing bread as well. And again, their bread's great. Like, So that's two local suppliers in each place that we just totally trust with the bread element of it. Um, the meat, so... We are in Leamington. We're very lucky to be two doors down from Aubrey Allen, who are one of the best butchers in the country, let alone locally. Um, so, But they also deliver to Birmingham. So we get to use them at both sites. Really like um, great sourced meat, good quality. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of top restaurants in Birmingham. I use Aubrey yeah, Allen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're lucky that we get to call that's them friends. You know, like they're, yeah. they're two doors down and we have a great um, dialogue with them at all times. Um, and then, I mean, this is it really. I mean, other than that, yeah, there's this fruit and veg. We used to use a greengrocer a few doors down in Leamington and we loved him. He was like family owned. His dad owned the business, then his grandfather in the business, but he recently closed it. He retired. Um, so we have struggled with like a great greengrocer there. Um, but definitely on the lookout if anybody's got any recommendations for like local wholesale greengrocers to both of those areas. Um, but yeah, because we make everything else in house, we are we're effectively buying in dry stock and turning it into the food ourselves. We're kind of our own supplier in a lot of respects. Like all the cakes and stuff we make in house. So you know, we're buying in the flour and the sugar, and then we're turning it into stuff ourselves in house. So we're very lucky in that respect. Awesome. It's going back to the green versus It's one of them. If if you can't get it, then it's. You just gotta go and get it from somewhere else, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I would. <laughs> You'd like to support. I mean, greengrocers seems to be a dying trade anyway. Yeah, unfortunately, I think, so. I think so. I mean, I'm sure there are greengrocers in Birmingham, but whether they are wholesale and can provide the amount that we want as regularly as we want, um, but it's definitely something that in this in this climate where we are, you know, we're all we're all closed and we're all in it together. It's definitely some time that I'm going to put into trying to find a solution to that. Because if, when we reopen again, we can be putting the money back into another struggling business that's trying to almost start from scratch again, that would be really, really great. Uh, but again, in terms of if they can be delivering to us like six days a week and if they can be delivering the volume, I don't know. But again, it's worth asking other restaurants because they'll all be thinking these things. Like, you know, I'm not the only person sat here thinking, wouldn't it be great to be using a local greengrocer again? so yeah oh definitely yeah definitely something i could put out there and ask other people what they're doing about it do you have a signature dish i don't know if you want to go for both or or at one point do you have a signature dish across the both of them or okay so i mean i guess the answer to that is almost like a concept as opposed to one dish because i mean our best-selling dish hands down is avocado smash i wouldn't say that was our signature dish dish because it doesn't show off what we can do, but people love it. You know, it is, is, is that is that always on the menu in some both menus? Always avocado smash with poached eggs and bacon, or if you've had, if you're a vegetarian, you can like sub it out for some for something else. Um, but a flatbread, like a really great flatbread with something incredible on top, whether that is a marinated pulled meat or whether that is um, falafel or we've got burrata on, on the menu at the moment at Saint. Oh my goodness. The burrata flatbread is so good. Um, or But there's shakshuka on the menu at 
both restaurants and I'd call that a signature dish. The flavors in terms of what it encapsulates flavor wise, like um, with the Middle Eastern flavors and the smokiness, because like everything, well, not everything. This is this is why George should be here really to, de- to describe his menu better than I can. But um, we smoke a lot of stuff in house. There's always smoking chips on site and there's always that familiar smell of, of stuff being smoked that I love. So that smoky char grilled spiced flavor is what's signature to us um you know we always put something on toast like mahamra on toast or, or hummus on toast or baba ganoush and that's always got like a, a smoky flavor to it because an element of the dish has been smoked at some point in its life um so yeah those though that flavor profile i'd say is is our signature as opposed to like one particular dish as I said, we have a lot of people at home right now who are probably salivating at all of that. <laughs> could you give us maybe, I don't know, tips or a recipe for what they could make for brunch if they wanted to make something different? Definitely. So what I've got that I can uh, send over to you, um, I got George to write up some stuff. And the one thing we're going to teach you guys to do is how to poach the perfect egg. Impossible. <laughs> I'm rubbish at poaching eggs. Well, he's written, the hardest skills well, in the world. Well, he's written actually a really good, a really good sort of like how-to step-by-step guide, which means that you can hopefully get pretty close. Um, and then also we're gonna we're gonna put some recipes together in terms of what you can then put those eggs with. So you're not just stuck with like poached eggs on toast. Um, like I said, we often marry it up with mahamra on on toast or. Um, like the avocado with like harissa and poached eggs so things that you can put with those poached eggs to have a more exciting brunch experience at home so um hopefully you'll put those in the show notes and um, we'll be able to get it out to people so they can start cooking some exciting stuff at home if they do please put it on an instagram and please at one of the businesses because i love seeing this like i absolutely live for this people going home and there was like the shakshuka challenge uh, people were trying to like recreate the shakshuka at home. Um, somebody the other day recreated the baba ganoush and eggs on toast, and I reposted that. Like I absolutely live for that, and I know that it means a lot to the to the chefs as well. Um, so be sure to at Saint Kitchen or at Warwick Street Kitchen so we can see it and we can share it with the world as well. Yeah, I'll put all the links to all the social and um, obviously put everything, all the recipes and everything like that in the show notes and Thank the you. books you recommended. I'll stick all of that in the show notes. Cool, thanks. Um, so hopefully they try it at home and get yeah actually tag us all in I'd like to see <laughs> yeah, these pictures yeah. as well <laughs> that would be really good like a, a group brunch challenge yeah I'd love to see that that's a good idea mm-hmm. um, anything kind of just to get people together and doing something fun mm. yeah definitely um, like, so trying to keep that community spirit alive while we all while we are stuck at home that's what's going to keep us all sane I think definitely definitely is there anything else you wanted to kind of go over or I don't think so I think the best thing I could say to people is come on down and, and meet us because we are this weird bunch of people that just love what we do <laughs> and I think that's what makes us special you know the product is really great I've gone on about the product a lot but maybe I haven't gone into enough like the vibe of the place and how infectious it is that we all want to be there so come down and meet us please and once this is over and once it's responsible and healthy to do so um but yeah just follow us on social follow us on social media let's all get to know each other in the meantime and hopefully see everybody someday very soon awesome well this has been absolutely brilliant i think you're quite inspirational with the way you manage and how you own your business and i think a lot of people can get a lot of great stuff from this little chat we've had and 
I always say my favorite part of the podcast is we start off kind of a bit nervous and with a handshake and we always end with a hug and obviously we can't hug digital hugs <laughs> so i'm sending you a digital hug but definitely as soon as this is over i'm coming in to get some well i suppose i'd have to have the avocado bacon and poached eggs one night but i'm coming in to eat and get get that hug flat so yeah well, oh, definitely a flat white um, but, oh thank you so much i've really enjoyed it it's been a pleasure yeah thank you lydia it. thank you bye. take care bye bye, bye.